Hi there, I'm Ryan Ike. Hi, I'm Alexander Young. And I'm Jim, and this is Topic Lords, the only place on the internet where you can hear topics discussed. Ryan, would you like to introduce yourself, or do you have something to plug? Um, so I'm I'm a composer and sound designer for video games. Pretty much everything cool that I'm working on right now is under NDA. Um, can can I make something up and plug that? Yes. It doesn't. Also, what you plug doesn't have to be a thing you made. It could be like a sandwich. Oh, thank God! Really? That would be amazing. Okay, I made an absolutely banging grilled cheese like two weeks ago, and I know that seems like a long time to talk about a grilled cheese you made, but like perfect blend of like various different like mozzarella and cheddar. And then I made it in an air fryer for the first time. So like it got every part of it super crispy and I can't share it with the listeners or, or provide proof of it in any way, but know that it was really transcendent and I'm real proud of it. All right. This isn't a topic, but I'm going to ask about an air, about air fryers. Tell me about air fryers. What do you, what do you want to know? I'm an open book. What are they? <laughs> so you you know uh, you know like a regular fryer where there's like oil and you dip something in a yeah. molten hot liquid that's incredibly fucking dangerous and really scary to have in a non you know commercialized kitchen. It's like that, but without the scary golden juice that burns your face off, and it just does it. It's it looks like if Darth Vader were a kitchen appliance. It's huge and imposing and black and really kind of scary to look at, and the implications of it are kind of a lot to deal with if you didn't know what it was and you walked into someone's house and saw this edifice you'd be like what the fuck do they do with that thing but it just gets air really really hot inside somehow and it like does the shit that a fryer would do 90% as good but without the scary golden juice and way way better for you mine looks like a big bucket with the lid being a huge hinge that's just attached to it all the time. So it's like this unwieldy monster. There's nowhere on my counter where I can go. I have overhanging cabinets. So I have to like drag it to the edge of the counter to open it because it can't open with the cabinets above it. It's like a whole pain in the ass. But everything I put in there has come out incredible. It's like the best thing I've ever used for just reheating food. Like if you have like a slice of leftover pizza, like I put it in that thing for like three minutes and it tastes like I just bought it. Wow. I'm real happy about it. Um, so actually, yeah, you know, I want to switch it up instead of the grilled cheese, just like props to my air fryer. Yeah. Mine specifically. All right. I mean, if we want to talk about uh, somewhat esoteric kitchen appliances that we own and find invaluable. Uh, for, for, wait, hang on. Hang on. First, first, Alexander, uh, would you like to introduce yourself or do you have something to plug? Uh, yeah, I... Um, yeah, I'm a math professor at a Digipen, which is a school uh, up over in Redmond that specializes in uh, video games and digital art. Oh, neat! It, it's a pretty nice gig. It's a very small school, and I like that because you get a lot of uh, a lot of interaction with your students, and you get a very uh, eclectic bunch there. Yeah, and I've been doing that for a while. I've uh, done a few odd things, not a whole lot. I've really made for mass public consumption probably the main exception is the uh the chess invaders mini game that was my contribution to the frog fractions 2 project oh yeah you two worked together on that yeah ryan did the music we yeah we kind of worked together through through jim because i feel like i i woefully didn't talk to you that that much i don't think you spoke at all unfortunately no. yeah no we <laughs> but, did not <laughs> yeah it was like a kevin baking co-working situation alex real quick um Who's your who's your favorite student uh, in your class? Go ahead and just say them by name right now on the podcast. See, yeah, I was I was I was a little worried about this 
what, I don't know if I was more concerned that people who listen to this would track me down in real life or the students that I have would track me down through this. I don't know which one of them would be a little more embarrassing than the other. I feel, I, I'm a very informal person in real life and I feel like as, with, as a professor, you kind of have to have this air of authority to you. You just only say smart things on this podcast and you'll be fine. Yeah. Just don't beef it on the show. And also, how cool does it feel to actually legitimately say the phrase as a professor? It's it's such a strange experience. It's like I tell them I I tell the students to do things and they do it. See, that actually that's actually unusual I think even for most professors. I mean, I've I've taught at a I've taught at UW for a little bit and it's just like in my usual experience at least people in math classes if they're in college level like they're they know why they're there and they generally don't slack off if they can at all help it. They want to learn the material, yeah. Yeah. It's not like high school where they're just there because their parents drop them off there or whatever. It's like, you know, they're a lot of them have at least some personal drive to do work. So, when I was when I asked you to introduce yourself, I assumed you were just going to launch right into your uh, appliance description. This could be a new segment. What's your favorite appliance that you just purchased? Our, for us, uh, kitchen space is kind of a premium. Like we don't actually have a toaster or a microwave, uh, but we do have an instant pot, which isn't that yeah. obscure, but it is it is super nice to have. Like I just made a really nice tender uh, beef stew, just threw in a, pretty much all the vegetables we had in the fridge into it. Yeah, that's what I ate right before we started recording. Uh, an instant pot is a pressure cooker? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Do you ever feel like like you're? That's basically like having a bomb in your kitchen. Basically, yeah. <laughs> Are you ever afraid that like if you forget to like close it properly, it's just going to blow up? Um, it makes it very hard to do that, but not impossible. If you don't close it properly, the air just escapes. Right, and it's got like a latch mechanism where it will refuse to open if there's any kind of pressure differential at all. I don't know. They probably know what they're doing. Hopefully. I had uh, an espresso machine that looking back on it, it's nothing like like any espresso machine I've ever seen since. Like, I don't know what why they call it that. It definitely had a component where like you have to screw this thing down and it, the pressure builds up inside. And like at some point I screwed it down poorly and the like there's a big mark on the ceiling where the lid hit, hit the ceiling and had to clean up the mess. Anyway. It didn't quite explode, but explosiveness happened. Instant Pot kind of looks like it's wearing armor. Like I'm, 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 sh- I'm sure they put a lot of precautions against that. So if it blows, you know the appliance will survive, and that's the important thing. Yeah, well, at least one side of it will, and then you can rebuild. And if you do survive, the adrenaline rush of near near that experience will make the food taste way better. <laughs> I don't know. I might be scared to eat it, like because it just tried to kill me. Uh, probably a little more obscure thing we have in our kitchen is a coffee bean grinder. It's it looks like a big old steampunk like thing from the 1920s with a hand crank that you turn around. Hand crank, dang. Yeah. Do you also roast your own coffee beans? We tried that on the <laughs> grill. It uh-huh. didn't work out very well, and I think instead we have a trade agreement with uh, someone who lives in the area where. We, we trade her fresh eggs for uh, home roasted coffee beans. This is incredible. Oh, how pastoral. I'm way into that. Yeah. How can I have this relationship with anybody? Uh, start raising a farm animal or 
learn an obscure food preparation method or have your own yeah grow some plants somewhere if you have space to grow some plants and harvest those how can i how can i do this without learning any new skills hmm <laughs> i bet there is something you can do you might need land to do it on though a lot of these are kind of like having at least a yard you know I'm just going to like brainstorm like who do I know who needs jam games on a regular basis? You guys you guys ready for some topics? <laughs> trade it for you could trade it for fresh jam. Oh yeah. Ooh. Okay, this is making me hungry and I've said nothing uh that's usable on the podcast so far. So yeah, I'm <laughs> I'm ready for topics. <laughs> yeah, I'm ready. Alex, your first topic here is creativity from a seed versus from a box. Yeah, I actually um, I got that idea because I, I I listened to the uh, the last episode that you put up um, and it talked about the creative process. I think that's the one where you, you told the story of you had this childhood friend that you thought was super creative and you had to like you were just copying every you felt like you were copying people when you were creating. Yeah, like I I mean I think that's really really more common than people think the whole copying thing to be honest. But what, what I, I think what I meant by this is. Um, there's the idea of creating something from a brand new idea you just kind of pull out of the ether versus creating based on looking at what you can't do and working your way inward, kind of like filling in the negative space. Yeah, I, th I think they're, they're different processes and I think the former is kind of a lot, more, um, a lot more romanticized than the latter. Can you talk more about filling in negative spaces? I want to hear more about this process. Yeah. Well, I mean... In my case, uh, if you do math research, a lot, like, like a huge amount of what you do is simply figuring out what is possible. And the thing that really gets people excited is when they show once and for all that something is not possible, which is really backwards. <laughs> right. But that's what gets right. us excited. If we can say something really strong and fundamentally limiting about the universe. Imagine if game developers discovered that once and for all, it's not possible to make a good Sonic game. Yeah. How excited would the community be? Oh my God. I mean, we'd all be free. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you free up people trying to make a Sonic game. I mean, that's you can kind of bring the analogy over in that you, it is powerful to be able to say something like that. Like when they proved Fermat's last theorem about how you can never have something equaling something else, people were super excited about not ever being able to make this work. <laughs> but on the other hand, I've been actually, I've been looking at um, a different kind of type of math that's a lot more modern about how you approximate things or make new formulas to approximate something or you don't have to get it exactly right, but you have to just make up a new mechanism that sort of works and it's kind of more of the former of just feeling a little more creative. I don't know. I've also thought of... Um, I remember there was a, I, a long while ago, I listened to an interview of Jack White and he said something that kind of caught my ear about how he thrives working within limitations as a musician, which is probably why he started a band where there was him and one other person who was not a musician. <laughs> but it's like, <laughs> if, that's, if that's the only tool you have to work with, that's a starting point. Like, okay, nothing fancy is going to be played except from my guitar and voice. So, what can we do with that? Let's focus on what can be done. Let's start from that seed and work our way outwards. That's interesting. It's also interesting to think about your point that like one is much more celebrated than the other. Like 
it's really sexy to be the scientist or group of scientists who's like, hey, we can totally go to space. You're like, we can totally beam communication from like all over the globe to each other. But like nobody likes the guy who figures out like, hey, time travel is like never going to happen, dog. Yeah. Or you can't go faster than light. I know it's cool and everyone loves it and we love to talk about it. But like, yeah, we, we're never going to go past light speed. All of sci-fi is bullshit. Every, all the fiction you love is trash and it's never going to happen. So like enjoy that. Like nobody likes that guy, even though that's I, I would imagine as valuable of a contribution to be like, OK, well, let's not waste our time on this complete impossibility. Well, I also think you can use that. Uh, for creativity like this is something I think about a lot when I watch sci-fi because I like watching things like Star Trek or I like watching sci-fi that's just like you know none of this could ever possibly happen uh, you know if it's a good story but I feel like if you consider your limitations and then write around that it'll often help you write something that that is new or works in a new way like um Oh, you can't move faster than light. Okay, well, this is now about generational starships and about how, you know, every ship is a one-way trip of 200 years. What happens now? Or um, if you watch uh, The Expanse, that's, that's, that show is actually pretty good about science. And they said, okay, well, we're never going to have actual Earth gravity on our ships. So, let's play around with that. Let's say that – let's use some realism here. There's no sound in space. Let's see if we can make a cool scene that's silent in some way. I don't know. For me, the mo- thing I'm most interested in is is taking a limitation and using it to make something new. Yeah, that's exciting. Yeah. I'm into that. And finding a way to make like, you know, a lot of our, our fiction is based around, you know, especially like sci-fi is based around like subverting things that we kind of already scientifically know are impossible. Like, you know, every sci-fi thing has light speed or, or we discover hyperspace or some other, you know, workaround from it. But the idea of just being like, no, this is impossible, but here's all the ways that impossibility is is cool anyway. You know, like the the expanse finding a way to shoot a scene in complete silence and be like, "Isn't this rad? Like, can't you have like good art in this setting where there is no sound in space instead of just being like, well, we have to have turbo lasers make a really rad sound because it doesn't matter that they wouldn't actually register in space. That's lame if you don't hear it." Which I get both arguments, but it's cool to see it from the other side, at least in fiction. Which I know is maybe not what you're asking here, but that's that's a neat way to approach that. I, I think it's I think it's easier to do with books because you don't have to worry so much about how things look. Like you can yeah. just say like, oh, the scene was silent, but the you know the protagonist was deathly afraid or something like that. Or the the protagonist has a AI driven helmet that looks at the scene and generates plausible sounds so that you get the the full uh, sensory experience. Yeah, I'm I'm well versed in the Star Wars apologetics. <laughs> I think is that's that a like thing? a semi-canonical explanation. Okay, okay. What's what's their explanation for why the X-wings fly like biplanes? Maybe I'm not well versed. I just know that in the parsec <laughs> thing. <laughs> I like the subversion because if you look at a lot of sci-fi stories, they're basically like, oh, let's take something that happens on Earth and now it's in space. Here is Captain Kirk's ex, uh, you know, tales of Captain Kirk's exploration in space. Here's a naval battle in space. Here's a, you know, a civil war or here's a current hot topic of the day in space. It's like, come on, tell a new story. (laughs) Yeah, totally. I think uh, this is an interesting thing for me to consider because as a musician, I feel like I mostly try to do the first thing, like have a seed, you know, have this, have this idea that I just come fully formed to be like, wouldn't it be cool if I did a track using this element or about this thing or in this style for this game that I'm working on or whatever. 
And I think sometimes without realizing it, I do the, I do the box thing and think what is impossible here. Like, especially, you know, right now I'm working on a couple games that are within a certain time period and setting, however fantastical or not they may be. You can hear me like chewing my way around my NDAs right now, but often, especially right now, I have to look at the soundtrack and be like, okay, I can't really use this. This needs to approximate a certain style of music that really existed, even if I want to give it its own flavor. So I can't really use like a lot of synth work because it, it won't fit the style of the game. So how do I make like this type of, you know, low droning sound that I'm after without the context of modern electronic music? And, you know, I'll, I'll figure out like, what if I had like harmonics on a string instrument or I find, you know, a sample of like a bowed saw or something that would have been like a freaky synth sound, but in the context of like the old West or medieval times or, or whatever it is, and, like, I think, uh, you know, that's one way that I'm kind of doing that now and being like, what, what is not possible? And then how do I work around it? But I don't do it enough in my work. And it's kind of a cool way for, you know, people who are like creatives to look at an issue instead of just, cause I think everybody tends to gravitate towards the seed thing and be like, what's a cool new idea no one's done before instead of what's a neat way to move around something that's an impossibility or that doesn't really work. I was I'm, yeah, I'm glad you glad you mentioned that. I was going to ask about your uh, your music process here. I was um, when I was in high school, I uh, I you know I tried to do the whole band thing, and I was like maybe I could write something. And I'm just like I've got no idea where to even start here because I feel like at, at least at that time I was way more comfortable with the box than I was with the seed. There was some musician I forget the name of, but he said something like you have to create like a child and edit like a scientist. <laughs> I dig that. Yeah. I, I feel like I'm a lot better at optimizing than almost any other form of creation. So, like, it may be that my whole process is editing and I have to have something to edit to begin with. So, like, I remember uh, reading that um, the movie Airplane uh, was a shot-for-shot remake of uh, an earlier, like, a 1940s drama with the exact same plot, except they added a bunch of jokes to it. <laughs> uh, and I feel like, like when I read that, I was like, shit, I bet I could make that kind of movie. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. Because that's exactly the way, like the, 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 the domain I work best in. I, a lot, I think a lot of, like, I think even most Shakespeare's plays are just, they're old stories. They're, they're reboots of already existing franchises. They're just filled with his dialogue now. Right. That was before Disney owned everything. Right. Exactly. Alex says, uh, Shakespeare was a hack. You guys heard it here first. Uh, that's on the record now, so. We all knew it. He was just <laughs> saying what everybody was thinking. Are you guys ready for another topic? I Sure. Ryan, your topic. Every fucking comedy trailer in the 90s used Hall of the Mountain King and it sucked and I hated it and why don't we do that anymore? <laughs> yeah, so um, for people who might not be familiar, you all know this track, but if you're not familiar by the title. I'll cut it in. Okay, great. I was going to do a live rendition, but that would be way better. So that track was like the mark of like shitty 90s comedy movies. I, I can't think of a movie that was good that had that in the trailer. It was like, look who's talking to and like Beethoven the second and like you, me and Dupree. It's like, that's the level that we're kind of dealing with. And I don't know why we allowed this to as a nation, why we allowed this to happen for so long. 
Like, why weren't we on the National Mall just, like, shrieking, like, you have to fucking stop. You have to stop. But also, (laughs) in uh, the way that my brain is weird and perverted and I can't fix it, uh, no one can fix it, is I kind of miss it. Like, now now movie trailers, I think, actually, by and large, you know, they kind of do the same beats and they're a little derivative, fine, whatever. But, like, they kind of have good music now, I think. Like, uh, for example, a thing I'm noticing I love a lot in modern trailers is, like, they line the music up with the action on screen in a way that is starting to get a little repetitive, but I'm into like the bullets firing will line up with the beats and like, you know, people like jumping off of things and kicking each other will like sync up and I'm way into that. But we don't do this thing where it's just like, there's one kind of dorky classical track or one like, you know, dumb pop song that we use in everything. And we just had this like moment in like the mid nineties where like every third trailer was hollow, the mountain King. And why don't what we think we're better than that now? Is that what it is? It is a weird thing. The the, the distance gives you like a, a warm fuzzy about something that you really hated at the time. <laughs> right. Yeah. I felt that way when uh, I was just at Lowe's and a Backstreet Boys ca- song came on the uh, came on the, uh, you know, the the thing that plays music, whatever that's called. Uh, speakers. The, yes, the speakers. <laughs> you know. I, I don't want to. I don't want to derail this, but you were. You mentioned a, 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 a Fantasia a couple times on this podcast, and I am completely that way with words. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Me too. And so I'm. I'm really. Sometimes I really got to search for words for things that you don't talk about a lot. Listen, you would know a speaker if you saw one, and that's what's important. But is it like a certain type of speaker? Does it have a fancy anyway? I think we call it a loudspeaker sometimes in a big store, but first of all, I it it's. It's wild to me that one could have this kind of memory about specifically the music used in movie trailers of the 90s. I'm not sure I can remember any trailers from the 90s at all. Yeah, I was a very uh, unlikable child. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know... With with your database of what classical tracks were used in what trailers. Yeah, you can tell that I was getting invited to a lot of parties. You saw a lot of movies. Yeah. Here's the thing too, is like if any astute listeners, I don't know, decide to actually delve into this, there's a good chance that I just invented this in my mind and it really only happened on like the three movies I mentioned and that was it. And I made it like a plague in my brain. But either way, like you you all have seen at least one trailer that did this. Like I know you have. Probably. I can envision it happening. That's what's important. What's fucked up too is like the original song is about this character going to like this goblin hall kind of like in labyrinth like in like a dream fever state and there's like this huge you know goblin king like standing on his throne and all of these like goblins and orcs and shit like in the rafters like chanting and booing and like throwing like flagons of ale and it's like metal as fuck and then like to put that under like owen wilson's like dumb head with his stupid wispy blonde halo of hair like uh, while he's like goblin like face yeah his goblin well okay now i'm starting to see the connection but i don't know it just feels like sitting in his hall (laughs) holding court as owen wilson does um yeah you know so the the hall of the mountain king like at least the opening of it like before it gets all loud it is very reminiscent i think of Looney Tunes music where like there's a character that's creeping around and they play like pizzicato strings. Yeah. I feel like that's where it comes from. I remember hearing, I think 
someone put on a music someone put on a track by Bartok like the Hungarian uh, guy from like the early 20th century and I, the first thing I heard someone else said this is basically like Bugs Bunny music like this is what they use in Looney Tunes <laughs> oh yeah yeah so yeah. that kind of like I think I think Hall of the Mountain King is Norwegian but that kind of like obscure outside of mainline Europe sort of almost nationalistic stuff i think yeah it, it goes well with cartoons apparently yeah it, it also goes to show too that it doesn't if you're making some like huge high-minded classical piece and you're like this this song is about how the cosmos is finite and your realization that you're infinitely small inside of it like doesn't even matter because and then it sounds like fucking you know sylvester chasing tweety bird into a hole like it doesn't matter like what your cool idea was like they're going to slap it on High Noon 3. Like, that's what's going to happen. Yeah. Someone's going to use it because public domain music is cheap. Yeah. <laughs> Death of the composer. Yeah. That's the other thing. Um, or like John Williams is going to like change one note and now it's the, the soundtrack to Star Wars. You, you know, funny you should say that. But um, so uh, my wife has a harpsichord and um, we printed out a uh, – we pr- what we printed out was a, a theme from the a 90s cartoon – and we, as soon as we played it, we realized it's basically Hall of the Mountain King, but just missing every third note or something. Oh, yeah. Inspector Gadget. Inspector Gadget. Gadget. Yeah, that's the one. <laughs> oh, my God. It's the same. And Edward Grieg is dead, y'all. He ain't going to come after you. Mm-hmm. What's his ghost going to do? So, yeah, it can't be done. If ghosts could sue, they would have done it already. We know that. So, like, you're straight. Inspector Gadget's straight. Everyone's good. Okay. Well, there's another thing from my childhood. Ruined. Now, you also mentioned modern, uh, modern trailers and why they don't do this anymore. Um, there's actually – you might actually really like this. Uh, there's a podcast called 20,000 Hertz that talks a lot about – just sound and design and, you know, everyday use. It, and uh, it's kind of in the vein of like 99% Invisible. And they did one called The Booge. There is this really sustained bassy sound that once you know what it sounds like, you'll hear it in pretty much every modern trailer. If you just look up how to make a blockbuster movie trailer on YouTube, it's by Aural Knots. They basically use every modern cliche of action movie trailer one after the other. Like the, mm-hmm. you take a you take some obscure song and you have someone do kind of like a sing songy twisted oh, cover yeah. of it. Yeah, and uh, then you just build on it. I don't know. All I did was listen to it, and I was excited for the movie, even though it doesn't exist. <laughs> yeah, Earl Knots do a bunch, a bunch of great stuff. I've actually been really impressed with a lot of the a lot of the videos they've made. Yeah, those those folks are great. Um, but yeah, you're right. Like there are, you're right. I think that actually kind of answers my question: is that we do still do it. Uh, and I guess I kind of knew that going into this, but like we, it's just not Hall of the Mountain King anymore. It's not 
it went out of fashion. Yeah, it's now it's the big it's the booge and it's having like a little girl kind of sing song, like do like a famous Judas Priest song or something that's not in that style. And it's having like, you know, again, like percussion interact with the with the video and the gunshots and what have you and line up and like every trailer still does one set of things, but it's just a set instead of one stupid song that makes me insane. I it kind of makes me wonder like if we took the booge back in time. And we put it in like the trailer for Casablanca and showed that to audiences in the 40s where they just have a heart attack at how <laughs> cool this movie was. Oh, I, th- I thought you were going to say take it back in time like to ancient Rome and just play it like outside the city walls and like watch like a civilization fucking collapse. They'll just invent a movie because they want to see the movie that you're advertising. They'll have to invent the, vi- the film camera. Yeah. They'll come up with Fast and the Furious like ad and it'll be great i don't think any like i don't think the romans had any written sheet music so for all we know they could have been listening to this music like this already really it's not recorded that's interesting yeah there's there's like one song from ancient greece we have enough like actual written down notes to make us to make a recording of now like the song of i think it's called the song of selenikos and is it just like someone was like it's kind of like this and drew some lines I mean, I think we don't know exactly the rhythm, but I think we know enough to make a good guess at that part. Right. I mean, I think it's a pretty good song. I enjoy listening to it. You guys ready for another topic? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, my topic here, some guy you just met asks to install an HDMI port on your foot and you decide to go for it. When you plug in a TV, what's playing on your foot? This was um, a dream I had. I was really curious how the fuck you got here. So, okay. <laughs> it, wasn't, it wasn't HDMI. It was a VGA port in the dream. And it wasn't just some guy. It was Sosowski, the uh, Polish game developer who I met at GDC and is rad. Like, and if he wanted to install a VGA port on my foot, I would definitely go for it. Yeah, of course. Why? Mm. I, have, I have some follow-up questions for one. Yeah. <laughs> um, how dare you? Because the prompt just gi- gives me no agency and decides I go for it. And I know this is a yes and kind of podcast, but how dare you? Secondly, why does it have to be some guy I just went met? Why can't it be a trusted friend in this scenario? Uh, it's, it's because that would probably affect what's playing on your foot. It would probably change your answer. I withdraw my question because you're right. If it was somebody I knew really well, it'd probably be like just treasured memories of our time together and I'd be, it'd be really heartwarming and go. But if it's some fucking rando uh, I met outside Wetzel's Pretzels, it's fucking prime time in my foot. It's going to be pretzel advertisements. I have no clue. It's a treasured memory. Yeah. Do I get to choose or are we guessing what, what this would be given the circumstance? This is, I don't think you get to pick. I think it's, you are predicting what would happen. I I don't know why this is what I've decided it's going to be, but it's – I mean, this is already body horror, so it's going to get creepo. And I think it plays like nostalgic shit that I have a lot of fondness for from my childhood. Like one time I turned it on – I turned on my foot and it's an episode of Extreme Ghostbusters. And another time – the People's Court that, you know, I used to watch that every now and then when I was waiting for cartoons to come on. And other times like a Capri Sun commercial, I remember, but everything's like a little bit off. And I could swear like characters in the background are kind of looking at me when I'm not paying attention. But when I flick my eyes to focus on them, they just go back to what they were doing. You know what I mean? And then every now and then I see someone who kind of looks like an animated version of like a dead relative or somebody that I used to know. 
but I can never convince anybody because when I try to tell them what's going on, they get real hung up on like, but you have a fucking port in your foot. What's up with that? And I can't get them to like focus on the fact that like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I know that's weird, but like the media coming out of my foot, let's like put the focus there because it's really creepy. And like, they're, they're not going to, you know, they're going to insist I go to the doctor. It's going to be a whole thing. But I assume in this scenario, it's not wholesome. This hor- this horrifying narrative construct you've imprisoned me in, it's, there's no way that it's good. What comes out of my foot? Okay, so I can promise that it won't kill you. Oh, I didn't say it would kill me. Yeah, I, it's it's gonna have a floor. Um, That's as far as I'll go. <laughs> well, I mean, I think I notice you both kind of jump to assuming that it would be your memories or whatever's playing inside your head. I think we got. Yeah, no, I I figured it would be like either future, like Unreal by Future Crew, the 1992 demo, <laughs> or it would be like my biometrics, like yeah. here's my pulse and like an EKG readout. Yeah, it's like a Fitbit for your body, but you can only display it on like the family room TV and not anywhere. Right. <laughs> for public yeah, you, and you can't go jogging with it. No. And in fact, you can't go jogging ever. Yeah, I don't know if you remember, but you have a port in your foot. Oh. Yeah. That sucks. Wait, are you implying? I'm sorry, I'm getting. I know this isn't the question, but you did this to all of us and yourself, so you only have yourself to blame. Yeah. Does the port hurt? Can I? Am I hobbled by having this fucking thing on my foot now? Uh, it doesn't hurt unless you try to run. <laughs> so it doesn't hurt unless you use your foot, basically. Right. right. So your the days of cardio are done, which means that when it displays your EKG, it's in bad. Okay. Listen, you can still get your 10,000 steps. It's just slightly uncomfortable when you walk. It only hurts if you run. Yeah, and you'll never get anywhere fast. <laughs> okay. Well, as discussed in a previous episode, I like to run, so that's out for me. You could install some like soap shoes and grind your way to uh, your destination. Can I still roller skate? Can I blade? Is what I'm asking. Yes, but it hurts. <laughs> no, that's not what you... God, you really got to be careful with your terminology here, Jim, because you said I couldn't run. You didn't say shit about when I get my wheelies out and I just fucking blaze, you know, like I like to do. Listen, we're just we're going to have to go to the Supreme Court with this about the question of whether uh, rollerblading is a form of running. My HDMI is just playing videos of me running and it's super sad and ironic. <laughs> oh. There's a lot of bloom lighting and a lot of like Running with the, the, the Columbia City Running Club that meets down here. We can't, All of you like high-fiving and laughing afterwards. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we were. We were. That's over now. We did it. Those days are over. Yeah. The first thing that comes to my mind is it would – you remember the – you remember those Winamp visualizers? Do I? Oh, yeah. You just play like weird patterns that went around with rhythm. It'd probably just be something like that or it'd just be like some kind of screensaver playing <laughs> like cellular automata or some oh kind of complicated God. thing pattern. That'd be great. Yeah. But then there's like oh, if it- one little mitochondria that you just wait to hit the exact corner of the screen. You get super like wigged out every time it happens. Everyone just gathers around to look at your screen <laughs> and that's super weird. If it's a screensaver, then you have to get a mouse port installed on your other foot so that you could use the computer, like, and when you like wiggle the mouse, the screensaver goes away, and it's like Mac OS six. No, it would be like when someone says your name or someone tries to get your attention, then the whole thing uh-huh. goes away. It, I mean, that, that's kind of what happens already. We kind of have screensaver modes when we're just thinking on our own. I think. Tell, tell me, tell me more about this <laughs> hypothesis. Well, I mean, 
Yeah, I feel like if if no one's trying to get my attention and nothing, I'm not really focusing on anything I'm looking at or doing, I will just kind of, you know, follow some thoughts around and it can be visual oh, yeah. or, you know, yeah. think about code or something or how... Yeah, otherwise you'd get brain burn in. <laughs> Can't have that. The last, yeah, the last thing that someone said to you just ringing in your head. Forever. Oh, oof. I think it'd be cool to um, be able to show kind of in that vein, like... Y'all ever like in a car and you're not the driver and – or maybe you – I still do this now but I did it a lot as a kid where like I'll be looking out the window and there's a bunch of fence posts going by and I will imagine like uh, like a pixelated bird kind of weaving between them or like a little video game style like Mario character like jumping on them or you, know, you just kind of make little like mini games for yourself out of the environment as you're – Yeah. You know, I think it would be cool to be able to like plug in your dumb foot port and then show other people like what you – what you saw when you're doing those little visualizations. Cause I've talked to other people about this and almost everyone I've talked to did it in some form or still does it, but like yeah. they're never the same. It'd be cool yep. to like share those. It's like those screensavers, like the worms that ate the screen just, you know, just start tearing up the scene. Yeah. It'd be crazy if your footport was like lame and it just like showed your, when you plugged it in, it just showed your eyeballs point of view. Like right now it didn't show memories. It's just like whatever you're looking at, it shows that on the screen and people are like, you got to, HDMI port installed in your heel for that? And it's like, well, don't you think it's cool? And it's like, I guess. <laughs> what happens when you look at it? <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> you die. You die instantly. Jim, Jim was a liar. You die. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't say it wouldn't kill other people. I really like the idea. Like, I've heard enough people talk about specifically, like, playing, like, Tony Hawk in their head on, like, power lines as they go as the they're in the passenger seat driving by. Yeah. I've been on a Tony Hawk's pro skater kick lately and there's a like the Tony Hawk's contract with Activision is expired so they're not making any more of those games but Tony Hawk made a or rather contracted with another game developer to make a mobile skating game which isn't very good because it's a mobile game. Right. Uh yeah, but yeah. an AR Tony Hawk's pro skater where you skate on power lines by like holding your phone up to them. It would be incredible. Oh. That would that would kick ass. Are you kidding? So Tony Tony Hawk's a Pokemon now is what you're saying. <laughs> right. He he was always there. You just needed to run the app to be able to see him. Yeah. It's like the, the cat bus from my neighbor Totoro. It just runs along the power lines and no one sees him. I mean, that could be how the real Tony Hawk operates. We would never know. Yeah. Except his Twitter is full of like times people saw and recognized him. <laughs> right jim you got are you okay i need to ask if you're okay because you got real dark and morbid with this one and i just want to know if there's anything going on in your daily life that prompted this dark dark prompt i'm great my my kid is like my kid just figured out how to go outside like he'll stand at the front door and like reach for the doorknob and look back at us and like eh, eh, until we open the door and then he like runs out there and it just checks the place out, you know, checks out the front yard. He just discovered front yards, basically. Oh, man, he just – new destination unlocked. That's great. It's a good feeling. Jim, not not to downplay the new and wonderful human you brought in the world, but you also basically just described my cat. <laughs> so, listen, your kid's not so great when you think about it. <laughs> I mean, my cat's pretty great. Similarly, his favorite word is meow. Okay. All right. These two – got to get these two together. They have a lot in common. Oh no, Winston is not good with cats right now. He mm. he is very like he's violent. 
Better breathe that out of Which him. is fine. Like, if the cat, like, you know, if he runs up and slaps a cat once, the cat runs away. That's, you know, whatever. That's fine. But we've got a cat that just, like, hangs out and gets annoyed. Like. <laughs> <laughs> right. And, like, oh, oh, human. I'll go up to the human for pets. And then he, like, grabs her by the skin and, like, starts, like, yanking. Yeah, you you don't oof. Yeah, you got to nip this in the bud now or one day there's going to be a a newspaper headline about some dude going into a cat cafe and it just being a fucking rampage. I see this going the other way. I think he's getting all of his like cat poking and yanking out of the way so you never have the urge to do it as an adult. I like that. Well, there's only one way to find out, which is <laughs> just to just wait. let it ride and see <laughs> see which one happens. Are you guys ready for another topic? Yep. I think we really solved that last one. So yeah. <laughs> Yeah, we're really we're really getting it done. This is a write-in. David asks, yak shaving in your profession or hobby? Are you guys familiar with yak shaving? I was going to ask. That's got to be a metaphor for something. Please let it be a metaphor. Also, that's not a question, y'all. David. I put the word asks in. David just said yak shaving in your profession <laughs> or hobby. David exclaimed apropos of nothing, <laughs> yak shaving in your profession or hobby and you just happen to be there. I mean, he's asking if we want any. Like yak shaving? Anyone? <laughs> <laughs> so yak shaving is um when you have to get a certain task done but to do that task you have to do something else first but to do that task you have to do something else first and before you know it you're shaving a yak i'm getting anxiety <laughs> just hearing this explained to me yes this yeah. is a part of my life my, my whole body is tight from hearing this explanation i don't like it yeah i can't wait i can't wait to hear your examples i think this is a. Uh... I think this happens to coders a lot. I think you you run one thing and then something breaks and you got to fix that. Yeah. I mean, my answer was going to be like, this is the entire experience of programming. Yeah. This is pretty pertinent actually because uh, like I have crazy ADHD and I'm actually trying to do some intensive work on it. And I think part of this and like doing like, you know, cognitive behavioral work is just realizing this is a thing you do and learning to work with it and yes i think step one is just being able to realize what you're doing before you start shaving that yak and being okay with it step one is just saying okay i guess i'm gonna end up shaving a yak today (laughs) like i could fight it but honestly you know this is it's not it's not the end of the world this this yak is getting pretty scraggy or you could get more and more angry every time you're you're flustered by like, oh, no, now I have to go do something else. Yeah, I elect for that one. You got to just kind of let it out. It can be helpful in some cases. If uh, I have nothing pressing and that there's a mess all over the house, then I will just pick up something, walk it to the room it's supposed to be in, see something else that's out of order, walk it to another room, and just set up this reactive chain, which... It's kind of like teetering on the abyss. If you get too far into it, you slowly drive yourself crazy. And then, yeah, you will spend a half an hour like washing one plate or doing this depth first is kind of a bad thing. (laughs) Um, (laughs) So I think think if you try and expunge it from your life, all that ends up is you just kind of get in denial and do it anyway. I think if you just kind of like make peace with this, this temptation, this, this pattern, then you can kind of work with it and negotiate with it and say like, today's a good day for shaving a yak. Today is not a good day for shaving a yak. I feel I'm going to shave a yak if I don't, you know, just 
plant my foot down and look at my surroundings and run my mental screensaver apparently just make a decision and maybe i am okay with shaving the yak after all the point is that i decided to do this it's a good attitude <laughs> yes yeah. i mean that that makes a big difference it does they, yeah if you treat it i think if you treat the yak as like part of the process so like you're saying like this is I have to do this. It's part of what I want to be doing. Yeah. Because my problem where I get frustrated all the time, and I don't know that I have ADHD as well, Alex, but I kind of think I do. I'm trying to figure that out. But um, I will sit down and be like, I'm going to write music for this game now. That's what I want to do. I will feel productive if I do it. But then I'm like, I got to figure out like, okay, what's going to best fit this situation? And then I go on YouTube to like listen to some like, tracks for inspiration that might be kind of in the veins that I want to try. And then like, I had to look up a tutorial on like synth design because there's some aspects being used in what I want to do that I don't want to, you know, and it's just like hours go by and yeah. I realize how, how I've gotten further away from the thing I wanted to do, which is write music. And if I were better just being like, look, all this other shit that I was doing is hopefully, you know, I can get way off course, but it's still related to and leading back to that topic. It's just that I looked at my day and said, I'm going to write music now. And really, if I'd paid attention, I would have been like, I have to do many steps before that. I'm looking at like the eighth step in the broader arc of, you know, umbrella topic of writing music. I'm looking at yeah. the eighth thing, which is like actually writing something when really I needed to start at step one, which is like research and like synth design and all this other stuff. But I don't realize it's that it's the first step when I look at it. So it's frustrating. It's so hard to like make a judgment call. It's so hard to just say, fuck it. I am, I do not need to spend this amount, this amount of time making step one perfect and then go to step two. Let's just start step two and maybe it'll be a broken disaster, whatever. There's something called a time boxing. I'm, I'm trying out where you, you just kind of ahead of time box how long you think a tax, ta task is going to make. And then if you reach the end, you just kind of kind of cut yourself off or just have a, have a plan B to just do instead. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm not great at it. I did s sort of get wrapped up in yak shaving today. You know, it's the kind of thing, if you practice it more and more, you get a better idea of what's reasonable and you can you kind of predict what you do ahead of time a little bit better. I feel like my relationship with sleep is such that I have to think of sleep as a prerequisite to do anything, any of the fun things I'm going to do or any of my like work <laughs> in order to even yeah. be okay with it. Yeah. Like I, I grew up with such an antagonistic relationship with the idea of sleeping. Like it pissed me off so much that I had to do this every night. Right. Uh, that, you know, I would put it off as much as, as long as possible to like my severe detriment. And I didn't, didn't really start having a healthy relationship with it until my 30s. And like, it really helps a lot to think of it as like, this is like, this is step zero for pretty much anything I want to get done tomorrow. Right. And it's such a hard, it's yeah. so dumb because it's literally like a biological imperative. And yet it's, I'm, I'm a similar way. Like I will cut into it at the margins at all angles to try to have more time for myself or more time to work in a project or, you know, I just want to get to the end of this chapter in this book I'm reading, whatever the hell it is. And it's like, if I want to... It literally exists as a human being tomorrow. I need to get more of this than I'm going to get. But it's just, I treat it as an obstacle. And it's so insidious because <laughs> if you want more time to do things in your life, like, and you're about to go to bed, like, you can just cut into that bedtime. I could have an hour right now. No one's going to bother me because everybody else is asleep. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Another uninterrupted hour of work. What, an, what a gift. 
Yeah. Right. And uh, all you need is that one hour and then you'll be totally done, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> You're, I mean, you got good judgment for time passing right now, now that it's two in the morning. I've, I've noticed something. I, I, I want more data points to into this, but I've noticed something interesting in that if, if something I'm doing is very technical, maybe like boxing, like if it's math related or if it's something I need to like be able to think deeply and clearly about, it's way, 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 way better to do in the morning and I'm pretty crap at it in the late evening. But I've noticed that if I'm doing something on kind of the seed end of things, just like making stuff up that's not technical, that's kind of more left-brained, I've had, I've been having like good streaks in the 12 to 2 a.m. time period. Oh, that's interesting. I'm trying to learn, I want to DM my own D&D session soon and, uh, you know, there'd just be time where I like load up my notes at 8, like 11 p.m. and four hours later, I'm like, wow, that'll just... I don't know where these ideas just came from. Some of them are really weird and dumb, but uh, I just just kept on it. <laughs> That's interesting. I feel like I'm a very late chronotype. Like I get my best work done at night and I'm pretty useless in the morning. And I wonder if if my brain works like yours, it may just be that I less commonly do the kind of work I'm better at in the morning. Or it might be hmm. that like you just have different chronotypes in your different hemispheres if, if you find it hard to sleep past 7.30 a.m. because your body won't let you, then you might have my chronotype. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Most people don't. <laughs> yeah. You guys ready for another topic? Sure. Ryan, your topic here is, I think about the abstinence train from a high school health class video once a week. How can I turn this from distraction into motivation? Okay. So... I think we all have stuff like this where it's just like it doesn't matter what dumb little nugget it is from your past but like you literally maybe think about it it flashes into your brain for no reason like once a month maximum or minimum rather this is this is mine and I'm I'm recounting this this is not exaggerated uh we watched a, a sex ed video in like ninth grade I want to say and it was one of those like trying way too hard to relate with the teens situations it's like dare. Teens in the late 90s love trains. They can't get enough of these locomotives. Uh, like a famous quote from the video that I also think about in conjunction uh, with this is um, there's a kid with a sideways baseball cap, which I don't think any teenager ever did in their fucking life. And he's like, yeah, I live with my aunt. She's I. And so I think about that <laughs> constantly. Um, but then after him, it cuts to a... a formless white void and there are three human beings dressed up as train cars so like they have kind of like sandwich boards on either side of them and they look like big dumb there's like the engine a middle car and the caboose and they're all kind of it's showing them in side profile all kind of chugging along together <laughs> and the engine car says come on guys we got to keep at it abstinence street is right over there I, I mean, a train could ostensibly cross the street. I'll give them that. Are they are they just fucking continuously until they get to Abstinence Street? <laughs> I think the implication is the fucking doesn't stop until we get to Abstinence Street and then it stops forever. I mean, when you describe that, immediately I thought of like the human centipede situation, which is probably not what you're trying to describe. You're, you're, it's, it was sort of a precursor to the human centipede. Like you're not that far off. Oh, no. But- 
It's going to turn out it was the same director. <laughs> or the that's where the character in the movie got his idea from that video. Yeah. yeah. He took wildly different lessons from it than I was supposed to. Um, but yeah, the engine is like, come on, guys. Absent is straight. It's right over there. And then the caboose starts trying to unhook himself from the rest of the train. He goes, no way, man. I want to feel something now. The re- <laughs> Whoa. Yeah, and the rest of the short is just the two front halves of this train, two two front thirds rather, are trying to convince the caboose that it's worth it to get to Abs in the street, but he's like way into like getting some getting that pledge on like immediately. And that's the gist of it, but the image of this this teenage young man in a dumb sandwich board train outfit trying to fake unhook himself from the fake car in front of him and saying into the camera like no way man i want to feel something right now i think about that like once a week is probably the 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 minimum and i'm sort of wondering like it always i almost it stops me in my tracks it it always Mm -hmm. kind of like gets in my way i'll be doing something and then i have to think about abstinence train for a minute and I'm wondering any, if either of you have any ways for me to turn this from a, a distraction in my daily life where I'm like, fuck, I'm thinking about abstinence train again to like, mm. how can I use this image as a way to be like, hell yeah, abstinence train's here. It's time to feel good about myself or get something done. You know, how can I turn this into a positive force? I mean, it sounds like your brain's telling you to give up on abstinence, first of all. <laughs> first of all, you know, it hasn't you worked just, <laughs> up until now. You just, I think it's yeah, let it go. you know, you're, you're the caboose here, I think. I, I'm very much a caboose figure in this metaphor, aren't I? Yeah. Okay. Well, that <laughs> maybe once I finally give up on abstinence, you know, because I really keep trying, uh, the 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 visions will cease. Well, I mean, either that or you get to the street. <laughs> I like how there's an end. There's an end goal for abs. I guess it's getting married. I guess that's what they were going for. But uh, but they never there's said an that. End dog. goal of not doing something. Yeah. You'll, you'll get that achievement. <laughs> <laughs> trophy um, unlocked never fuck again yeah, it, yeah. It, they, they never once were like wait for that special oh for that special cargo like, train to come along it was just like don't go to abstinence street and then park your train in the middle of it i guess and let this let this train never roll on again was sort of the implication i really like the idea that they 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 give out trophies for never doing any like any given thing again because that means they have some way to see into the future to know oh like yeah that time that was the last time you were ever gonna fuck <laughs> that was it that's that's the last time you're ever gonna be eat a peanut butter and jelly sandwich last peanut butter and jelly sandwich trophy unlocked I I just remember that I'm I I should go and get that achievement for not playing the Stanley Parable for five years. I think I'm I'm finally past that milestone. Oh yeah, congrats. That's a that's a long way to ding right there. I mean it was hard. It was hard. I just wanted to feel something. Last achievement unlocked. Last time you ever yeah. talked to your father. <laughs> wow, okay. <Sis>. Um <laughs> Do you remember uh do you remember anything like after that line? Do you remember the what the, the train cars said to each other? Like what their what their little dialogue was? Alex, I'm gonna ask you a question. Actually, I'm gonna flip it back on you. Yeah. The last thing I heard yeah. was a man dressed as a caboose on a train say, I wanna feel something right now. How could I possibly yeah. remember anything that happened after that? Your entire life after that has been a hallucination. Right. I'm still sitting in that in Mr. Johnson's classroom right now. Like, this podcast isn't real. 
you're going to wake up and he's going to be like, there's no sleeping in my class, Ryan. <laughs> Fuck. Now let's watch the rest of this video. <laughs> that, this seems like the kind of thing your body, like your brain would just invent more story for. Like one of those memories that you just kind of fill in the blanks and later realize didn't happen. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. But what I was going to say is that if you remember anything else about that scene and you want to use it as motivation, maybe you can think of like putting yourself in that situation. Oh, but here's my reason for wanting to uh, do something that I know is wrong or the wrong thing. And here's what they said in response to that. And, you know, oh, okay. it was it was healthy. They had a whole like they listened to each other. They uh, they met in a middle ground. They validated each other's impulses. <laughs> they they met in the in the rail yard of ideas, and they they found yeah. a consensus. I like that. I'm into that. I also just like if I if I'm allowed to just bolt on fiction to this thing to make it work. I like the idea of if I'm the caboose figure, I just detach, and then there's a separate rail that I connect to, and I just glide away, and they head off to Abstinence Street, and I go gliding off towards like always fucking Boulevard or whatever, and kiss comes on and it it feels great and i just get to kind of have that have that little moment of victory and not being kind of pressured by the rest of the also the other thing that bothers me about it now that i'm thinking about this is the fact that like are they one organism are they supposed to be one <laughs> living entity uh that has three brains or are they three well, they're a polycule obviously obviously <laughs> <laughs> they're an absent polycule that are waiting to all get married to each other i mean that's I don't see how you can interpret that otherwise. Wow, they can't have sex until they change the law to allow <laughs> polygamous marriage. Yeah, they had a long way to go. Abstin Street, he, when he said right over there, he meant in the grand scheme of all recorded time. It was still quite a ways away for them. I mean, Orion, it's it's natural to want to feel something. Your your body is going through some changes. Some people discover they're actually a train. <laughs> it's natural to want to decouple from time to time. Yeah. That's just part of growing up. So this is a practical answer to the uh, to the question of how do you take advantage of this? Like, I don't know the answer to that, but there the process that I have for to solve a problem in general is just like sit down and like try to think through the aspects of the problem. Maybe I can just solve a little bit of this problem right now and try to do that and see if that works. But I'm basically saying is you should just think about this video a lot. <laughs> just like block out a week. And do nothing but that. <laughs> you should find a monastery up in the mountains. Do some, you know, meditation. Oh yeah, go go learn to meditate. Go go talk to a guru, and they'll tell you to, you know, oh, you, you need to like blank your mind and not and focus on like your breathing. And you pretend you're doing that, but you're actually focus on focusing on this kid saying he wants to feel something right now. Yeah. Whether you take it all the way to like when you're a Zen master, but you're actually a Zen master of is thinking about this kid saying he wants to feel something right now. But I'm the best in the game at it. Ryan, have you tried finding this video on YouTube? <laughs> you know, it's, it's maybe that will break the spell. That would be amazing. I, I've literally um, no idea what the fuck I would type. And I've typed in abstinence train, which is all I can think of. And that's not fucking it. So, you know, if you or any listeners find this thing, uh, maybe my maybe I'll finally vaporize into air, air and vapor, and I'll be gone from this earth. I will my purpose fulfilled once I see it again. If this isn't in the show notes, listeners, please solve this problem for Ryan. Please, somebody don't involve us. Just send him a message on Twitter. 
Yeah, no need to get anyone else hurt. Just send it right to me. I'm going to get either nothing, likely. The video, unlikely, but would be great. Somebody's homebrew recreation of this, incredibly unlikely, but would absolutely like make my fucking year. If somebody in their basement like films this scene, um, that won't solve my problem. Yeah. Do you, I mean, do you guys want to know what you get when you type abstinence train into YouTube? Because I'll tell you, you get uh, a lot of train spotting videos. Um, you get a self-disciplined motivational speech featuring Will Smith. Not really sure what the connection is there. Uh-huh. Uh, you get a video labeled, should you have sex before a fight? I mean, the Will Smith connection is... Uh... Will Smith connection is that if, if you're abstinent, you don't you don't have a son like Hayden. <laughs> that's mean. No, it's sorry. Okay. I think that's right. that's a little too far. I'm Topic. sure he's a wonderful guy. He was just kind of ridiculous on Twitter once, but he was a kid. He's I don't know. I've I've seen After Earth. I don't know if he deserves any forgiveness. Yeah, you get a lot of nonsense. You get how to make your own chastity belt. Not what I was asking. You get a few uh, scenes from <laughs> – not at all what I was saying, YouTube. You get a few tr- scenes from Train Spotting, which is – or excuse me, from uh, Snowpiercer, which is a gross misunderstanding of what that fucking movie is about. A whole lot of nothing. The YouTube search engine is actually pretty bad. Like my first step, if I were to try to solve this problem – I would start working for Google, get on the YouTube team and fix their search and then I would type abstinence train into the YouTube search engine and it would work perfectly. But I'm really shaving a yak right now because I got to brush up on my resume and I got to go back to school. (laughs) I bet if you started with searching for dare videos, like the the algorithm would kind of, you could just follow that pathway. I bet there's a connection oh, yeah. there. And it's pro- they're probably easier to find as a starting point. They'd probably just be in the related videos. Did Dare do abstinence or did they just do like, don't smoke this joint I'm passing around the room? Like, did they... They just did they're... drugs. Damn it. I've tried off and on my whole life to find this video and I, I can't let it go. I just really need to feel something now and I'm not willing to wait uh-huh. for it. Well, on that note... That's all the time we have. Really? That's the note? Are you sure? I think that's the, how the podcast has to go. Okay. Uh, Xander had an actual good topic up next that I completely just dutied all over with my stupid abstinence train thing. So <laughs> I'm sorry about that. It's What I have is a story, so it can be a pretty short thing. Okay, one, one more real quick. Go. Let's squeeze something of substance right under the gate here. Oh, pressure's on. Alex, your your topic here is multilingual animals. So, um, I, this was inspired by something that just happened a couple of days ago. I have a flock of chickens. They're complex creatures. They they're they're pretty dumb, but they're pretty good at learning things sometimes. And they have they're really social and have a lot of like it's basically mean girls, but all the time, and they never grow out of it. In terms of cliques and hierarchies, they have uh, they have like certain calls they make. One of them is like the danger call, um, and uh, I, I kind of know what it sounds like now. And when one of them makes it, the rest of the flock just lights up and you know runs for cover. It's one of the things they're actually good at doing. A couple days ago, a hawk came by, and it was uh, you know they 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 knew the emergency drill. The, the rooster saw him and uh, sounded the alarm, and they all hid. Um, but then after that, uh, some crows came by and they started freaking out. 
And I started thinking because I know that crows have a pretty complex language. It's like they're they're used as a counterexample of some ideas that about what animals can't do. There's evidence they have like syntax in their language. Anyway, uh, they can recognize human faces too, even though we can't really distinguish crow faces. And I was wondering, like, could a crow speak chicken or at least understand it? Would a crow and could a crow understand that the chickens are sounding the hawk alarm and so that they have to be on high alert and start hassling the hawk? Because that's kind of what they do here is they just gang up on birds of prey. Holy shit. I can't believe I did abstinence train before this and then you asked like... (laughs) (laughs) God damn it, Jim. Why'd you put him in that order? I really like this and I wonder... (laughs) I wonder if um, how long crows have been able to do that. What do you think of the idea of me like, I'm going to hang up on Skype. You guys can talk this out as long as you want and I'll like, that'll be the podcast. I have to go, but that doesn't mean you two have to stop. I got another couple minutes if Alex and I want to hash this out and come to a scientific consensus. Oh, absolutely. It's one of the most interesting things in my life right now, which is kind of strange. This sounds amazing and I really look forward to listening to it when I edit the podcast. I'm going to go. You two talk for as long as you want. Send me your wave files when you're done. I'm going to send you an AUG. Is that cool? That is workable. Great. Okay. Get out of here. But we're going we're gonna to solve this and just know that you really missed out. Is it gone? Yeah. Okay. So, <laughs> so th- this is the first podcast I've ever been on and the host is gone. I feel a little bit out of my depth here. <laughs> this, this, uh, I've been on this, this could not be less of a brag if I tried because imagine if I bragged about this, but I've been on several Yeah. and this is unorthodox. They, yeah. <laughs> they normally don't leave before the guests leave. Um, I have been called out by a podcast I was listening to and not otherwise involved in. Oh my god! Which was very—that's a—that's di- a whole different story. It was very surreal. What did you do? I uh, Jim's probably going to edit all this out, but um, I post a bunch on Quora, which is a site that, in theory, it is a place for experts to give answers to people's questions. It's kind of been declining in quality. Mm-hmm. But um, I really like doing this. I mean, it's kind of also what I do as a job. Uh, someone asked if dinosaurs could be domesticated. I'm not an expert anthropologist, and you know my credential there says PhD in mathematics, so that that should be a you know read at your own risk. Right. But I made this argument about how like here's a horse skeleton, here's a zebra skeleton. You wouldn't know just from the skeletons. But we've domesticated the horse thousands and thousands of years ago. And we've never domesticated the zebra. So my point is that like we can't really know. Like we bear, we just recently know dinosaurs have feathers. We know very little about their behavior and demeanor. So it's, it's really hard to make a case for or against uh, domestication. The, <laughs> I don't think you know. I don't even think this is important to the story. What my answer was anyway. I, I was in I was in a friend's car. It was we were carpooling. He had one of his podcasts on about anthropology and they were just that one episode I happened to catch. They were just complaining about all the bad answers on the internet to this question. And look at what this idiot wrote about horses and zebras. And it's just like, Oh, <laughs> that was me. That was, that was directly me. Yeah, he you didn't talk about anyone son. else. 
Yeah, that was jeez. But they didn't. <laughs> it was a humbling moment. They didn't name you though. Just you, you quietly. Named oh no, them. no. And the, like the best thing is, if I hadn't been in the car that one particular day, this connection would never have been made. Right. Because <laughs> I don't listen to this podcast. He listens to this podcast. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> fuck. Um, oh, the chilling. No, thank you. So, real quick, vis-a-vis chickens. <laughs> yes, I'm not. I'm going to leave aside the fact that they're the most interesting thing in your life right now because that's a statement about you that I. I'm exaggerating, but when it comes to things I'm posting about on Facebook, it's like 80% chickens. It's very shareable stuff. I can't really post about like math work I'm doing or stuff that's happening on class. No, that stuff's for nerds. But chickens are universal. So I'm curious how long these uh, these crows like evolutionarily have been around chickens doing this? Like if it was a behavior that these birds have always been able to communicate or if they learned it over hundreds or thousands of years, anytime anytime chickens domesticated, you know, were freaking out about a hawk, they learned that behavior of like, oh shit, you know, that means there's a predatory bird coming. I doubt it because I'm pretty sure the crows that live here have not really been in contact for with chickens for very long. And this seems the kind of thing that is more learnable than innate. They've done studies. Actually, a lot of the studies are done here in Seattle um, about crows and how if a, if a human will mess with a crow or threaten their nest, they not only will remember that human's face, but... Uh, get all their friends to recognize them and hassle them like they're they're learners they yeah. learn how to use tools uh there was a city in japan where they were a nuisance and tried to get rid of them by destroying their nests so they started making decoy nests so it's it's probably less about whether they evolutionary understand birds because that's probably not something they use a whole lot of but if, if this one is around chickens for long enough yeah or observes them enough it's it's less the fact that crows are evolutionarily learning this and more that they're all like a Nazi style like trickster gods who <laughs> just like pick shit up yeah that is so crazy i really like the idea that they just figured this out because they're they're like deceptively smart birds right like everybody just thinks of crows as like black pigeons or something they're they're trash birds but i've actually i've actually learned the sound when there is a juvenile crow who's hassling their mom for food because it's a certain specific call that you hear again and again until it gets muffled by food being shoved down their throat. <laughs> Just shut up, kid. Mom's trying to watch her stories. Hell yeah. Yeah. That's amazing. I mean, we, we expect some of our pets to understand human words sometimes. Right. And some animals, we can understand what they're saying by what they're saying. So, we got human to other animals. But I'm, I'm thinking like, what about other animal to other animal and how much that happens? I think, yeah, if it's if, – if my dog can learn what I mean by certain commands and I'm not equating a dog's intelligence to a bird's because I wouldn't even know what the ratio is, I think it's entirely possible that a, a bird could amb- – especially like a crow that's known for doing this behavior, like could ambiently figure out if they're in that environment long enough, you know, this this panicked cry from this nearby bird means, oh, shit, it's time to, it's time to go. That is so neat though. And it's one of those like – those super cool ambient things that's just like happening around us that like I – Absolutely would never pay attention to <laughs> if it wasn't like yeah. drawn to my attention. I really like watching animals learn. There's just something about it that just is so fascinating to watch. How, how and when and where do you do that? Are you going to the zoo and showing them math problems and shit or what do you mean? Well, no, I, 
I mean, I'm working on that. Maybe, maybe I can do that one day. I used to have a couple pet rats and you put them in an environment once and they'll be very cautious about where they step. But as soon as they've been a place, they will just run around and navigate it because it's all in their head. They know where everything is now. But just sort of watching them explore, knowing that they're kind of like scoping out the area that they're going to remember it later. The other example that comes to mind, I remember I um, was having a picnic and just to see what happened, I threw an olive uh, towards a crow or there was a, it was a small little murder of crows. Most of them ignored it, but there was just one crow just very cautiously, very gingerly approached it like it was a live grenade <laughs> and got the courage to tap it. And just immediately as it tapped, it flew backwards again, like it was a live grenade. Oh, my God. And then they all left. But then this one guy came back. He's got unfinished business with this strange thing the human threw. Uh, eventually decided that uh, it could be eaten and ate it. That's bananas. Well, I'm going to try to uh, refrain from going outside. And if I have to go outside, I'm going to not look up or listen or pay attention because there's an entire world of animals self-educating around me. And that's like, I can't get to the bank before it closes, Alex. Like, I, <laughs> I don't know if I have the room to process that all the time. I mean, you live in Seattle, right? Um, have you not been accosted by crows yet? I had, uh, it's only happened once, but like six months ago, like over the summer or so, like one flew down and uh, either like dive bombed me or pecked at my head or something. It was just one like yeah. strike, but it definitely happened. And I'm used to living in a world where birds stay the fuck up there and I stay down here and everybody's happy mm -hmm. and that's never happened before. And it was just like realizing my sad little play world isn't as safe as I thought it was. Well, you were uh, you were near their nest, I think. But like, I don't. If they're so smart, why can't they pick up on my body language? They're like, I don't give a fuck about your nest. I didn't know your nest was there, dog. I'm a non-combatant. That's why they buzzed you instead of tried to fight you. Like this has happened to me twice already. Um, and they always choose like the non-violent way of getting the point across that you're you're kind of threatening their space. Like I uh, I walked through a park and they just started just yelling at me. And then I went and had breakfast and then hours later I walked back and they're like, oh, oh, we remember you. I wasn't even near the same path at the time. It's like, oh, this, this fucker again. This yeah, guy's you're in back. the wrong neighborhood, motherfucker. Like, <laughs> uh, if I took one thing from this episode, specifically the portion of it that will not air, uh, it said birds are, don't fuck with birds. I think at the end, Jim's supposed to ask you if you want to plug anything. So, um, we should probably do that now. He didn't do the sign off. Well, I mean, he asked us at the beginning and I had yeah. diddly and you. Well, if they want to contact you, that's the, that's it. That's what it was. You. Right. Okay. So, uh, again, I'm Ryan Ike. I'm a composer and sound designer for video games. I'm on Twitter at Ryan Ike composer because I'm an idiot, uh, and didn't think of anything imaginative when I signed onto that devil website, but here we are. Uh, or you can find me through my website at ryanike.com. And if you happen to be somebody who has questions about game development or working as a freelancer in games or game audio, um, feel free to reach out. I love helping people out with that stuff. And uh, I'm Alexander Young. Um, I, there's not a lot of ways to follow me. I think the best way is just follow me on Quora, where I just answer random questions about stuff that's interesting. Uh, Alex, I'm going to go wind down and go to bed but it was wonderful talking to you <laughs> yeah well past yeah. the expiration of this fucking podcast apparently um jim when you edit this good night <laughs> yeah good night
coward that can't see anything through. When he gets attacked by a crow tonight, he'll he, he'll know. He should have listened to us. Yeah. Hi, this is Jim. This is the audio I append to every episode of Topic Lords. Congratulations to our newly anointed lords. If you'd like more people to hear the show, you can tell your friends about it or rate and review us on whatever podcast service you use. You can add content to the Topic Bucket by emailing topicbucket at topiclords.com. You can contribute to our Patreon at patreon.com slash topiclords. Patrons get episodes a week early, and you get access to the Topic Lords Discord, where you can discuss topics with all the lords that hang out in there. See you next episode!